That was a really cool thing that we got to do um, as we were planning out this series. We thought we want to um, get together and make a video. And originally we were just going to let Megan kind of dish on things since I get to get up here and, and give stories about her and stuff. We were going to let her give a bunch of stories and feedback about me. Um, but it morphed into this opportunity for us to get together with four couples from different phases who have been married different lengths of time. And, and we spent 40 minutes sitting there together. We weren't planning on spending 40 minutes there together, but we spent 40 minutes um, just talking about marriage, talking about our relationships, talking about um, God's blessings on those. And, and man, what I think you picked up a little bit of it that, that God has really blessed each of those couples. I can say that that's true. Um, a few takeaways. If you don't know the Walters, you need to get to know them. They're pretty fun people. Um, you probably saw that. Um, but, but what I thought came out more than anything else is that, that each of those couples, it was clear um, that, that the desire of our hearts is to honor God with our marriage. And, um, and, and, you know, Jay and Faith haven't been married a real long time. What is it now? I didn't pay attention on the video. A year and nine months, up to, what was it, 55 years? What's that? Almost 55 years. And just the way that if you will commit your relationship, and I'll broaden that out, I know that was about marriage, but if you will commit your affections to God, you will experience God's greatest blessings. And I just thought that was a wonderful time to spend together and just talk about our affections, our relationships. Um, are those marriages perfect? Mine's not. I'm sure the Walters is not. I'm sure of it. But, but those marriages are intended to honor God, and I believe God has honored each of those relationships as well. And so, so I think what we can take away from that as we, as we get into this last message on matters of affection is that if we will commit ourselves to God, if we will commit our affections, our relationships, our desires to God, I believe that God will bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're really going to talk about living for God's glory. We've been, over the last three weeks, we've talked through 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, and today I'm just going to lay it out here that, that my goal is to what Paul's goal is, to call you to give everything you have, your affections, your desires, your relationships, um, your sexuality, everything you have, to give it to God and to live to honor God with it. And, and at the end, I want each of us to commit to live purely for God. And so that's where we're going today. As we look back at what we've talked about at Paul's uh, the 6th and 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I just want to summarize real quick. Chapter 6, Paul says, do not be deceived. The first week we talked about, do not be deceived. You cannot live for your selfish desires. You cannot live any way you want to. You cannot, the world will tell you that it's all about you and that whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you deem to be right is okay. Paul says, do not be deceived. You cannot live contrary to the principles of the kingdom of heaven and inherit the kingdom of heaven. So do not be deceived. Then in the end of chapter 6, and, and um, Todd Bowman, Dr. Todd Bowman came and he talked, and in the end of chapter 6, Paul says, you were bought, your bodies are not your own, you were bought 
for a price, and therefore honor God with your bodies, that your bodies, that your very being is meant to glorify God. You were created in God's image. Tell your neighbor that. Say, you were created in God's image. Smile when you say it. It's nicer. Don't laugh when you say it. You were created in God's image, and you are meant to glorify God through your body, through your very created body. And so, so we are meant to honor God with our bodies. Then we get into chapter 7, and we talked about this last week. Paul talks about all the different statuses and relationships that we can have. Marriage, singleness, whether you're living as a, as a widow or whether you're divorced, wherever you're at, Paul says that your relationships, your affections are meant to glorify God. Everything is meant to glorify God. And then he wraps it up, and we, we read this scripture last week, but this is going to be kind of the start of this week for us. He wraps it up in, in, in verse 35 of chapter 7, and, and this is what it's all about. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So for Paul, what all of this is about... What our bodies, what our relationships, what our affections, what our desires, what it's all about is living in undivided devotion to God. And so that's what we're called to today. Undivided devotion to God. God wants all of you. And everything in your life should be to honor God. To give God everything. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing today to commit all of your affections to God? Are you willing to commit your marriage to God? Are you willing to commit your family to God? Are you willing to commit your relationships, whether that's a dating relationship, whether that's a friendship? Are you willing to, to commit your desires to God? Are you willing to commit your time to God? Are you willing to commit your sexuality, your sexual desires to God? Are you willing to give everything to God and to live for the glory of God, not for your own purposes? That's the real question today. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, everything? Don't I get anything? Don't, I'm, I grew up in the church. My dad was, was a pastor since I was two years old. And I'll be honest with you, as a teenager, as I grew up, as I, as I started to be more interested in the girls around me, as I started to want to date and do things like that, sometimes I felt like that living for God was limiting me from being able to do what everyone else got to do. I remember there was one time in, in specific, I, was, um, I considered myself an, a pretty good kid. I wasn't perfect. I was, in fact, I was far from perfect, but, but um, I had a group of church friends. They were actually from the Impact team, which was a, it was a team of kids from different churches that were in the youth group, and we would come together, and we would go from church to church and sing and put on services, and it was a really cool thing. And, and, um, and I had a group of friends there. And we all went to prom together. So we each, you know, all, we all, you know, picked somebody and went to prom. We went in a big group. And after, after that prom, I think I was a junior. I was either a junior or a senior. After that prom, 
all of them were going to go spend the night at one of their houses. And all of them went and spent the night at one house. Now, parents were there. It wasn't by themselves. But you know who didn't go spend the night at that house? Me. Because my parents didn't think it was wise for me to go be in a situation where I was with my prom date and other prom dates. And so, so I, I felt gypped. I thought, hey, wait, everyone else, these are church kids. These are, these are good kids, and everyone else is getting to do this. And here it is, my faith, my parents' faith is keeping me from what everyone else is getting to experience. Have you ever felt that way? Just be honest. You can be honest. Have you ever felt that way? That, that living a life devoted to God of faith holds you back from, from experiencing all that life has to offer? I want us to, to look at that today, and I, I want us to understand that that's not true. You may think it's true, because I believe that Satan is really good at tricking us into thinking that things are important that aren't important. But today I want you to know that if you will commit yourself fully to God, you're not missing anything. You're getting everything. And, and so I want to start by just making an important point. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm, I haven't been around church, but man, that's a lot to ask. Man, I don't... Why would God ask me to give everything? Why would Jesus ask me to give everything? I want to reassure you really quick and tell you that Jesus is not asking for anything that he wasn't willing and did not do himself. Our God has given everything for us and for the kingdom. And so when God asked us to give everything in return, it's not an unreasonable thing. And we're going to look at that and we're going to see why. And so, so uh, last week we finished um, the week with, with Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I want to read part of that again. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, so Jesus was God, in the beginning was the Word Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was by very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Listen to that. I love the way that that's, that's put. Did not consider his status, his equality with God, did not consider it to be something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so right there, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that Jesus didn't do himself for our sake, for the kingdom's sake. He humbled himself. He wasn't worried about what, what he was missing. He wasn't worried about his own advantage. He was worried about God's plan and God's purpose and our salvation. And so Jesus poured himself out and gave everything. Jesus, who was God, the creator of all, came and lived as a model for us of how to live completely undivided, and his devotion to the Father. 
We see this play out in Luke chapter 4. I want us to look at this this text. In this text, Jesus has, has been baptized and the Spirit has come upon him and he goes out into the wilderness to, to fast and, and pray and he is tempted. And so I want us to look at this because if you're thinking, well, Jesus didn't have to deal with what I have to deal with, I want you to understand today that Jesus was tempted the same way you and I are. It's not that Jesus lived in a palace and just was fed grapes and fanned all day. That's not how this was. Jesus emptied himself of everything, and we will not experience any temptation or struggle that Jesus didn't experience himself. And so I want us to see this. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. That's that's a silly statement, isn't it? He ate nothing for 40 days, and at the end of that 40 days, he was hungry. Makes sense, right? The devil said to him, let me stop for just a second. I'm going to be stopping some here. When we're hungry, when we're in a place of need, I believe that's when the devil works the best against us. And so Jesus is hungry. He's devoted himself to God. He's gone out to fast and pray. And for 40 days he's fasting and he's not eating. And the devil comes. And it says that Jesus is hungry. He feels that. Have you ever been hungry? I get hungry if I don't eat before 11 o'clock. Like if you want to have lunch with me, it better be before noon. (laughs) Or at least tell me so I can eat before. But 40 days Jesus was hungry. And the devil says to him, listen to these words, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What what Satan is saying is, I know that you're living completely devoted to the Father. I know you're doing this fasting and praying thing. I know you're not eating, but hey, I know you're hungry. And so all you got to do, I mean, you're the son of God, right? This is all about you, right? And so all you need to do is just tell that stone it'll become bread and you're not hungry anymore, right? Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Satan's number one trick or his first trick is to appeal to Jesus' stomach. He's hungry and Satan's saying, just do something for yourself, just Forget about the devotion to the Father. Forget about the fasting. Just take care of yourself. And all of a sudden, hunger becomes this temptation where Satan is trying to get Jesus to step out on his own. And, and all of a sudden, in what Satan thinks is going on here is that bread is the most important thing to Jesus because he's hungry. Jesus says, no, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone. You know what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, bread's pretty good, but guess what? If I eat that bread, it doesn't fulfill me forever. It's just a temporary thing, and Jesus says what's really important is my devotion to the Father, my connection to the Father, and so I'm not going to trade my connection to the Father for something that's temporal, something that can't ultimately fulfill me. I believe this is one of the ways that we are often tempted. See, Satan wanted to make the stone, the bread, the hunger, Satan wanted to make that into God. 
And I believe that we make this mistake all the time with our affections. I grew up in a Christian home, and, and we believed that, I, I preached this a couple weeks ago, we believed that sex was meant for marriage. And so I grew up waiting until I was married to have sex. And as a young man, do you know how much I thought about that? And sometimes in our lives, we can make sex into a God. We can make temporary things into a God. Maybe, maybe it's not sex. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. But all of a sudden, like Satan's telling Jesus, hey, the bread's what it's all about. It's not about the bread. It's not about the marriage itself. It's not about sex. It's not about our desires. This is about God's will. This is about the connection to the Father because the truth is, just as the bread is temporary, so is everything else that I just mentioned except our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The only thing that can bring you fulfillment for eternity is your relationship with God. And so I believe sometimes the way that Satan attacks us is by tempting us to think that it's all about the bread or sexuality, or sex, or relationship, or that person that we love. But the truth is, those are temporary things, the only thing that matters. Those aren't bad things. They're just temporary. And those cannot give us the fulfillment that we were created to have. The only way we can have that is through relationship with the Father. And so Jesus sets the perfect example and says, Hey, bread's cool, but that's not it. I need to stay focused on the Father. It says the devil, it continues on in verse 5, it says the devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. And then he says this, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So I want to tell you what's happening here. This is, this is more than just a, a power and a control thing. See, Jesus knew exactly why he came. And we know why Jesus came, right? Jesus came to die on a cross so that we could have salvation and be restored to our heavenly father. And Jesus knew that his plan and his purpose and his path was going to a cross. I don't know if you've ever known that something difficult was coming, but we believe that Jesus was fully God, but we believe that Jesus was fully man. And listen, I 100% believe that there had to be some, some difficulty and some anxiety about what Jesus' path and where Jesus' path was going to lead him. And you know what Satan's trying to do here? Satan's trying to offer him a shortcut. He's saying, you know what? You don't have to go to the cross. All you've got to do is just bow down to me and you can have everything that you want. All these people that you came here for, I'll give them to you. If you'll just bow down to me, this is another trick that I believe we are tempted with. Is thinking that we can take shortcuts to get 
where God wants us to be. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus could not have done this and still accomplished what he ultimately came to do. Sure, Jesus could have bowed down to Satan and said, here you go, and Satan could have said, it's all yours, and Jesus could have sat there and and ruled and, and had authority. But Jesus came to restore us to the Father. And so Satan's trying to throw his his focus off. Jesus says, no, this is about worshiping God, and I didn't come to sacrifice that. I came to sacrifice myself on a cross so that they can be whole and be restored. This is huge, because I believe that with our affections, I believe with our relationships, I believe that one of the tricks that we are tempted by the devil to think of is that we can take shortcuts that we can take shortcuts from the way that God designed us to live and we can get the same fulfillment. Let me tell you how this plays out. I can look at a picture or a video screen and get the fulfillment that I need from God or from that. That, That's the temptation, isn't it? To think that I can look at something and I can lust for something and through that I can get fulfillment what I need. But I hope we all know that that's not true. That's not true. Or I can cut corners in my relationship. I don't have to do things the way that God intended. I don't don't have to go through marriage the way that, that God intends it. I don't have to live purely the way God intends it. I can still get there by making deals. And that's not true. Because God's plan, I said it the the first week, if we are going to inherit the kingdom, then we have to live a life that is worthy of the kingdom and that brings the kingdom about. And so there's no compromise in our affections. We are to be fully devoted, undivided devotion to God. And so, verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to test. And so do you know what's happening here? This is the third temptation. What Satan's saying is, make this about you. God loves you. God won't turn his back on you, so just test him. Jump off here. You know God's not going to let you fall. Make this about you. And all of a sudden, what Satan's calling Jesus to is not undivided devotion to God, but trying to make God be devoted to him. Do you see how that's backwards? Am I making any sense? Am I confusing everyone? Do we need to talk for another 45 minutes? He's trying to flip it around and take it from obedience to the Father to make the Father be obedient to you. I've been reading comments and and thoughts all week. I mean, I don't know if you guys know everything that's going on, but, but there's a lot of battles going on over sexuality and what's right and what's wrong. And I've been reading comments all week that say things like, listen, God has to love me the way that I am. God has to love me because this is how I am. 
God has to, God has to, God has to. Do you, do you hear it? This isn't about our devotion to God. Those comments are about what God has to do for us. And this is the temptation that Satan tries to get us with, is to think that, that God has to respond to our wishes and our desires and, and what we want to do. But the truth of the matter is, we are to live devoted to God. It shouldn't be about what I want. It should be about what God wants. And if we get that wrong, we've missed it. And so Jesus doesn't fall for it. He doesn't fall for that trick. It's not about God the Father conforming to Jesus. It's about him conforming to the Father's will. And so as we see in, in Luke 4, and as we see in the beginning of Philippians 2, Jesus was fully obedient. He didn't fall for the temptation and the lies. He didn't act selfishly. He gave everything to the Father. Now, I know that was, I know that was long, but I wanted you to see how this plays out for Jesus. And I want you to know that your Savior that asks you to commit everything to him has done this, has committed everything, has given everything for the Father, and for the kingdom, and for us. See, Jesus' focus wasn't on himself. It was on the kingdom. It was on the eternal. And so, I talked earlier about that, that night that I didn't get to go to the sleepover, and I felt like I was gypped. I just want to say that I am thankful for parents that were living for the eternal and not for my desires. And you know what? I can say unequivocally that I didn't miss anything compared to the glory that God has for me now and for eternity. And so what was the outcome for Jesus? We looked at Philippians chapter 2. We looked at the first half of that, that he humbled himself, was obedient even to death on a cross. Now I want you to hear the second half. We read it last week. I'm going to read it again. I want you to hear this and understand that it's true for Jesus and it's true for each of us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was fully obedient, fully committed, fully devoted, not worried about himself. And because of his devotion and his obedience, the Father raised him up and he will spend eternity ruling over everything. Now, I'm not saying we are Jesus. I'm not saying we are going to be above everything else. But I'm saying that if we are willing to commit our affections and our devotions and our relationships and our marriages and our desires, if we're willing to commit those to God, that God has blessings for us that we could never imagine. Dave Ramsey, if you're, if you're a Dave Ramsey person, you know he has, he's got a saying, if you can, today if you can live like no one else, then later you can live like no one else. And what he's saying is, if you'll live by the right principles today, one day you'll be able to experience something far greater than anything else. That's what this is all about. Living devoted to God fully. And, and so I want us to understand that we are called to live for the eternal. 
We are called not to give in to the temptation of here and now. We are called to give everything we have, our affections, our desires, our relationships, our marriages, to God. And if you will live for God, if you will give those to God, I think you saw it in the video, if you, if you were watching, you saw it, that if you will do that, God will bless you. And the good news is you have eternity to look forward to. You have God's blessings of eternal love and, and the kingdom to look forward to. But I also want you to know that it's not just about the future. It's about now. Because you saw in the video that God's blessings are poured out on us right now. I believe that God's blessings are being poured out on each of us right now if we are living undivided devotion to God. So are you willing to commit your ways, your affections to God? Listen, God knows what's best for us. And God's way is best for us. So I want to close this. I'm going to work through this really quick. I want to close this with some really practical things that I want us to do, and then we're going to sing a song, and then I want us to commit ourselves and our affections to God. So here we go. Four things that I think we need to do practically to give our affections and our devotions to God. Number one, put yourself in a position to succeed. When we talk about matters of affection, when we talk about the temptations that we have, put yourself in position to succeed. You know what that means? It means don't put yourself in a bad spot. Don't go to a sleepover with a bunch of other high schoolers. Don't, don't go to the party that you know is going to have things at it that shouldn't be there. Put yourself in a place to succeed. Don't put yourself in a position that you won't be able to handle. Listen, I believe that temptation is incredibly strong. And I think some of the work that we have to do to not fall to temptation is on the front end of where we put ourselves. So put yourself in position to succeed. Make healthy boundaries in your relationships. Don't Listen, if you have trouble with lust, if that's one of the affections that you're tempted by, don't watch TV at one in the morning. Don't get on the internet when other people aren't around. Put yourself in a position to succeed. If, if you have a relationship and you're struggling with this, don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted by it. I've got so many stories, that, so many things mom told me that I'd love to tell you, but we're out of time, so I'll tell you another time. Put yourself in position to succeed. Number two, accountability is key. We are called not to live on our own on this journey, but to live together and to hold each other accountable. And so one of the ways that we live for the eternal is we connect to each other and we hold each other accountable. Whether that's a small group, whether that's a best friend, whether that's a pastor, whether that's a counselor, I believe God's will is that we lock arms together and we share our struggles with each other and we hold each other accountable. Accountability is key. Confession is key. Bringing to light our struggles will help us live free and devoted to God. Number three, focus your mind on Christ. I believe that if you look at Jesus and his temptation, how did Jesus fight the devil's temptation? He knew the truth of the Father. He knew the truth of God. And so when the devil said, hey, do this, Jesus said, no, no, no. No, no, no. Because this is what the Father says. 
If we will focus our mind on Christ, if we will know God's word, if we will know God's plan, if we will know who God is, we will be equipped to say no to the lies that Satan has for us. So focus yourself, your mind on Christ. One of the things I read said, we answer Satan's seductive lies by shining the light on God's truth upon them. If we are ignorant of God's truth, we are poorly armed in the fight against temptation. God's truth is one of the greatest, greatest weapons we have to fight temptation. And the last thing, continue to grow. I believe idleness and stagnation is the worst thing for us as followers of Christ. If we are constantly seeking to grow closer to God and to know him more, to grow in our relationships with each other, to grow in our relationship with God, I think we're going to struggle with temptation less. And so four things. Number one, number one, I got to remember it. Put yourself in position to succeed. Number two, accountability is key. Number three, focus your mind on Christ. And number four, continue to grow. And so, so those are the practical things I want each of you to do to follow up this series. Because see, here's the thing. We're not going to talk about matters of affection next week. I'm not going to get up here and preach about it. That's not happening. The series is ending. But the truth of the matter is, your affections and your desires and your relationships are going to continue to be attacked Continue, you're going to continue to be deceived by other things. And so this is not the end of our devotion to God. This is, this is another step on our journey. And so I want to call you today, number one, to commit to continue this conversation. Whether that's in accountability, whether that's in a small group, whether that's with a counselor, whether that's with a pastor, I want you to continue this conversation and I want you to commit everything to God. So the band's gonna come up and we're gonna play a song. And after that, I am gonna ask each and every one of you to commit your affections completely to God going forward. Is ever, does everyone understand? Is everyone good with that? And so I want you, as we sing this last song, to be praying, Lord, help me to think about my affections. Help me to think about the relationships and the desires. Help me to think about all those things. And Lord, help me to tune them to you. And then we're going to come together, and we're going to commit all of those to God. Father, be with us as we sing and center our hearts and our minds on you. And help us, Lord. Help us to know your truth. Help us to know your desires. Help us to know that your plan is better than our plan. And Lord, help us to trust you. We love you, Jesus. We give you ourselves today. Amen.